Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. So tonight, uh, we are going to look in our notes. We're going to begin with the first statement. A couple of statements I have here for us are extremely important for us all to hear. But Father, as we study your word... May your spirit give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds to be open to it. Change us by what we hear from glory to glory. And we believe to be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we study a subject, any subject of the Bible, we are promoting faith in that subject. So, whatever it might be, it could be studying, let's say, the subject of love, the love of God for us. We're promoting faith to rise up in our hearts to believe strongly in God's love for us as individuals. And then we think about, for example, something like this. He has numbered the hairs on our head. Think about that. I mean, I love my children. You love your children. But have you ever taken the time to each hair number? No, but he has. He numbered the hairs on our head. He knows how many I have left. He knows how many you have left. Prayerfully, they're all still there. But I don't think that's the case with all of us. So anyhow, we won't, we'll stop right there. Uh, when it comes to, let's say, we need protection, then we need to study God's word so we can believe that his hand will protect us and deliver us from evil in every evil way. If we don't study those scriptures, then we're not going to fuel the faith that we need. When it comes to healing, which is our subject tonight, it's important that we study the word on a consistent basis so that we can do what? Fuel our faith. Now, in your notes there, that we study this, we promote faith is your first word. Second line, to ignore the subject is to cause faith, not knowledge, to diminish. That bears repetition. It will cause faith, not knowledge, to diminish. What do you mean by that? I can know that by his stripes I'm healed, right? That's knowledge. If I don't feed my faith on that subject, let's say for a long period of time, I still have the knowledge that by his stripes I was healed. But I haven't fueled the faith. Faith needs to be fueled. For example, if you have a fire, and it's a beautiful fire, if you don't keep fueling it, what happens to the fire? It goes out. But if I keep fueling it by adding to it, it will continue to burn. Same thing with faith. I may have the knowledge that by stripes I'm healed or his spirit quickens my body. But if I don't continue to meditate on that subject on a consistent basis, my faith level diminishes, even though my knowledge level remains the same. So I have that knowledge, but I have not fed my faith. Line three. Did you get those words? Knowledge can be retained, but what happens to faith? It diminishes. So knowledge can be retained as your word, but faith diminishes. So in order to maintain spiritual energy, spiritual fuel must be provided. And why is that? Your last line there, because faith comes by hearing, not having heard. Faith comes by hearing, not having heard. Well, what is food? Is it not fuel to our bodies? Doesn't it energize us? Sure it does. It strengthens us, right. So I can believe in food all I want. But if I don't eat in it, I won't have that energy. So I can believe by his stripes I'm healed all I want. But if I don't feed my spirit with it and on it, then that faith level diminishes. Remember Proverbs 18, 14 that talks about the strong spirit of a man will sustain him in bodily Sickness, the strong spirit of a man. What does that mean when it comes to a weak spirit of a man that hasn't been, let's say, feeding on the word of God? Well, then it's going to be more difficult to fight whatever it is that we're up against. Now, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and verse 31, and I, I don't always read for all these, and sometimes I'll just 
just tell you what it says just to save some time. But in that verse, it talks about how God looked at all the works of his hands and what he saw was very good. Well, what did he see? Well, let's just say this. What didn't he see? He didn't see sin, sickness, disease, death, mental anguish, fear, anxiety, worry. None of those things existed. And it says when it, it says it was finished, it meant he brought it to its predestined end. In his mind, that was it. That's how I want it to be. That is my will revealed here in that one verse. Well, in your notes, there was a, no place for sickness in the original plan for man. Your two words are original plan. No place. It wasn't there. It did not even exist in the garden when man was created by God. God never intended for man to be sick in body at all. That was not his intended purpose for man whatsoever. So, we understand that. So, where, where did it come from is the next question that people have. And once again, I know you have heard these scriptures, but faith doesn't come by having heard. How does it come? By hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing over and over again. So we see that God never intended for man to be sick in the garden in the beginning when he created man. He didn't, ex he didn't really want him to die or any of that. Especially he didn't want him to be separated from God. Okay. So in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us where it came from. We are told in that verse, by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin so that all men have sinned. So death has passed upon all men. So what we see here is that it wasn't God who opened up the door to sickness and death. It was Adam. So in your notes, sickness entered the world because of sin. That's why it's in the world. That's how it entered the world. Death is separation from the life of God. That's what death is. We could define it as that, separation from the life of God. Well, what would be the um, remedy for that? Reunion. Reuniting us with the life of God, right? And didn't Jesus say, I came to bring you life, and that more abundantly, the word life, Zoe life, life as God has it, I came to bring you? Right. That's what he came. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life as God has it. And that more abundantly. Okay, so sickness comes into the world by sin. So death is separation from the life of God. That separation resulted in sickness and death are your next two words. It resulted in sickness, which is incipient death. In other words, it will lead to death. So we have to understand that. This was not God's doing. As a matter of fact, if we recall the words of God, did he not say, Adam, for your cause, this is what you caused. This curse has come upon the world because of what you've done. God didn't open up that door. Man opened up that door because of his sin. He separated himself from God and opened up the door to sickness, disease, and death. Okay, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, if we just stopped right there and said, okay, the door's open. And now we have sickness in the world that we have to contend with. We've got bacteria. We've got germs. We have all kinds of things that we're dealing with in this realm of life. We've got bodies that are growing older and becoming more seasoned that will eventually give place to death should Jesus tarry as a result of our separation from God. But in 1 John 3, 8, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might undo, outdo, overdo all the works of the devil. That's why he came. He came to make provision for us so that we would not be dominated let's say, by this law of sin and death. In actuality, we could say it this way. There are two laws at work on the earth today. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that frees us, liberates us from the law of sin and death. So the law of sin and death was unbridled. I mean, it was just unhinged. It was just operating in a powerful way in the earth until the law came with Moses and all that. And it just prevailed over all humanity. But then, of course, thank God, the law was given. It was somewhat, you know, let's say, provided for. You'll see this in a moment. A covenant of healing was provided for by God. But the big thing is this. Jesus came to undo, outdo, and overdo.
to destroy the works of the devil. Why? So that we could be reunited with God, receive from his life, and turn back the hand of sickness and disease and all that's coming against us. So did he succeed is the question. Did Jesus succeed? Did he prevail? So does the law of the spirit of life, which is a higher law, override the law of sin and death? Yes, it does. Okay, and very easily we can explain that law. And I don't know why some people get really upset when you talk about laws and God. Like as if God's not a law-giving God. I don't know why they think that way. But laws operate. There's called the law of faith. It's a law that operates a certain way. God's laws and ways are higher than ours. We can see that, right? Okay. So let's put it this way. Let's just say that the law of sin and death was operating on earth in such a powerful way. We'll compare it to the law of gravity that man in any endeavor in any effort to try to fly failed miserably go back and look at the history of flight those that put those feathers on their arms and jumped off of their garages and thinking that they could go fast enough and they're going to fly what did they find out the law of gravity was greater than their arm strength and compared to their body weight to lift them up and to maintain their flight right and I'm sure many got hurt in the process. And it took a long time before a man who observed the bird and just said, hmm, this, this thing flies, but it looks like it shouldn't be able to fly because those wings don't seem like they should hold up that body. But what happens? Like the bumblebee and all that, we observed that. And they kept looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and looking at it until they finally did, mm, okay, let's come, let's see, let's come to this conclusion. Man can't fly, but can we devise something that can help man fly? And over a period of time, after observation, what did he come up with? The law of thrust and lift. Right, Aaron, the Wright brothers. Thank you for that history lesson there. I appreciate that. They came up with the law of thrust and lift. So let me ask you a question. Is the law of gravity at work in the earth today? Is it a legitimate law? Is there a law higher than that law that overrides that law, that even uses that law, that enables us to get into an airplane and fly and stay in flight until we land? And it's called the law of thrust and lift. Is it not a law? Absolutely. So that law is a higher law than the lower law of gravity. But I guarantee you this, let that law be interrupted at some point. Guess what takes Precedence then. The law of gravity and it will come down. True. Okay, Romans 8, 2 tells us what? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the law of sin and death. Well, what's the key? Well, what's the key to the law of thrust and lift? You can get in your airplane and just sit there on the runway forever. You're not going to fly if you don't get that law set in motion, correct? It's a law that works, but you've got to set it in motion. So what if people today don't know about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? How can they set it in motion to, uh, to rise up above the law of sin and death? Well, they won't be able to. So that's why we need, we need to learn the truth of God's word and apply it to our lives so that we could rise up above the law of sin and death and operate in the law of the spirit of life. And that's why we're having our lessons. So, Jesus came, in your notes, to undo what Adam allowed by destroying the works of Satan. Because of the cross, we can have union, is your next word, with God and experience healing and health for the body. No one's saying it's a piece of cake. It's not a cakewalk. Why? Because the law of sin and death is an actual law. It's operating in our members, is it not? Although the outward man perish, right? The inward man's renewed day by day. What's he trying to say to us? These laws are at work. And we will become more seasoned. And we will grow older. And our hair will become gray. Unless we color it. In, in, <laughs> right? Okay. Isn't this all going to happen? Right. Should Jesus tarry his coming... We'll be out of here, but not the way we want to, which is by the rapture of the church. But one way or another, this is what happens. 
because that law is legitimately at work. So what do we ought to do? What do we need to do? Find out how to operate in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because that will assist us and help us to rise up above that law. And if anything, slow it down. Caleb said, I am today 85 years old. And my strength today is as it was when I was 40. Wow. What a statement. Both to war and to do battle. Not to play cornhole. Right? No, no. To go out to war and take my land that belongs to me. Didn't he say that? Right. At 85 years old, my goodness, he was still out ready to go to war. All right. Now, did you get all those words so far? Yes, sir. Am I going slow enough? Yes, sir. <laughs> In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 26, we are told that there's a covenant of healing where God tells us, and this was the first covenant that he made with them when they came out of Egypt and Egyptian bondage. He said that if they would hearken to his word and laws and commandments and keep his judgments and statutes, then he would not permit the sicknesses and the diseases of the Egyptians to come upon you, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. He identifies himself as Jehovah Rapha. He is the healer, our covenant healer. That's a covenant name of God. He reveals himself to us as healer. Isn't it sad that in the church this has been neglected over the years? Isn't it sad that when you're growing up in church, you never even heard the name Jehovah Rapha? I never did for 24 years. I didn't even know he had a covenant name. Didn't even know there was a covenant. Sealed in blood. Didn't know that. Didn't know anything about the Bible. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up in church, had no revelation of that. Never thought that that could be a possibility that someone supernaturally could be healed by God. So we were left in the dark. But notice that in your notes, the covenant of healing was the first covenant God gave the children of Israel after they crossed the Red Sea. A covenant having two parts to it. Of course, everybody wants to say, oh, why two? Couldn't there just be one where God would have to do it? Number one, the conditions. The conditions of what? Obedience to the laws of God. Number two, the promise, which is what? Protection from disease. A promise echoed in these other verses. Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy 7. What does Exodus 23 say? Once again, if you will not bow down and serve your enemies, but serve the Lord your God. He said, I'll take sickness away from the midst of you, fulfill the, of the, the number of your days, and no one cast their young before the time, and so on, nobody be bearing in the land, and with long life. He's, he's talking about, once again, echoing the covenant of healing that he has provided for them in the promised land that they could expect him to perform in their lives. Why? The higher law is found in Him. Not in ourselves, not in our abilities, but it's found in Him. But what does it require of the people is obedience. Just come to me, obey my laws, keep my statutes and judgments, and I will remove sickness and disease from the midst of you. What a promise He has made to us. You say, well, that was just for the Israelites. I'm glad you said that. You know why? We have a better covenant established upon better promises, right? Hebrews 8, 6 tells us we've got a better one. Well, if healing was provided for in the old covenant, why would it not be provided in the new covenant since we have a better covenant? Can you think of anything better than being healthy to serve the Lord? Number one, being saved is absolutely the most wonderful thing, but I like being healthy to serve the Lord. What about you? Or you can't wait till you get a bout of sickness and disease and so you're, you know, Hacking up a lung and just say, I just feel so good. To serve. Never mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, the new covenant also provides healing and health. And you can see that as we observe the Lord's Supper, which we'll do this coming Sunday. We'll observe the Lord's Supper, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And what does it say here? That if you observe it properly, correctly, and you discern it and understand it as you should, then what? Well, if you don't, let's start with there. If you don't and you observe it incorrectly, improperly, it produces weakness, sickness, and death. Paul said, for this reason, many of you are weak and sickly 
and die prematurely. Now let's go back to being in church. I had no one tell me that when you observe the Lord's Supper, some called it Holy Communion, that it provided for me strength, health, and longevity. I was never taught that. I never knew that. I didn't know that till I got born again and then began to study the Bible to find out that this is a provision that God has, you know, guaranteed us in the new covenant. So what's he saying? He is saying to us, we can promote health in our bodies if we properly discern the Lord's body. Notice the Lord's body. Well, what's he saying? Jesus also died for our sicknesses and diseases as well as for our sins. And to really recognize and understand what Jesus did for us, he bore our sin. Yes, no one has a problem with that. But he also carried our pain and bore our sicknesses. And many have issue with that. Why? I don't know because it's clearly taught in the Bible. But it's, it's a provision that we all have. But because we're not taught that, how does faith come? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because I was never taught that, I had no faith for healing. I remember I was in an unsaved condition at this time, but I remember being at someone's house and uh, this, the, the father there, it was a friend and the father there said, can you believe these crazy people that call themselves Christians? They think they could just lay their hands on you and pray and you get healed. And I said, yeah, they must be some kind of kooks. Well, I found out I became a kook. <laughs> right? I thought, of course, I said this in my state of lack of knowledge. I said, isn't that why we have doctors? Well, thank God for doctors, but doctors are limited. Right? They're absolutely limited. We're all limited. But God's unlimited in power, scope, and ability. Right? Absolutely. So, back then it was nothing but a laugh. But then I began to find out, wait a minute. Whoa, I didn't know the Bible taught that. I didn't know that by his stripes I was healed. I didn't know if I rightly discerned his body, that that would promote strength, health, and longevity. So you see why it's necessary for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Because it keeps us mindful of what He has done for us. It's like we hold it up before our eyes. Remember in Numbers 21 when it talks about how they were bitten by the serpents and they cried out to God, and to Moses first, and Moses cried out to God and God said to Moses, you put that serpent up on a pole and everyone that's bitten, when they look, when they look, when they behold the serpent on a pole, they will be healed. Now that word there, behold, it means to gaze upon, to look deeply into with a steady absorbing gaze. To do it expectantly with a steady absorbing gaze. With anticipation. So in other words, to keep looking at it and keep looking at it until you can get all the light from it that you need. It's a type of Christ being up on the, on the, on the curse, the curse of the, on the cross and on the tree where he became sin and sickness for us. And so you keep gazing into that. Behold it. Look into it with a steady absorbing gaze. Well, you say, well, that's easy. After you've been bit in your ankle by a serpent, is it easy? Hmm. I don't think so. The tendency is to look at the symptom, not the solution. Right? And so we keep our focus on the, on the, on the problem here, right? And not the solution to the problem. We're all challenged that way. And if we're overwhelmed by the problem, then we're not giving place to the solution. So he's telling us to look with a steady absorbing game expectantly until it finally registers upon our hearts and minds in such a way. By your stripes, I was healed. I see it. By your stripes, I was healed. And I keep feeding that to my spirit till it becomes a reality. Now the key, we're going to see some keys here, is to get a better understanding of how we can cooperate with God to receive this healing power. Okay, two conditions here as well. The conditions. Rightly discern the Lord's body is number one. The conditions. We've got to rightly discern the Lord's body. There are many that say, oh, he, he died for our sins, but not our sickness. Well, that's not rightly discerning the Lord's body. Okay. Number two. The promise is strength, health, and longevity. That's what he said. That's the opposite. It's reciprocal of what? Weak, sickness, and premature death. Okay. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 1, the promises of God, of, of the Old Covenant, weren't automatically experienced. They had to be possessed. In that verse, it says, when you come to the land and enter the land, 
and possess the land. That means you take a hold of it. Remember we're told to fight the good fight of faith. We're in two, we're also called, and we have done, done what? Lay hold. We professed a good confession before many witnesses, and we lay hold or take possession of what belongs to us. Theirs was a physical possessing of the land where they had to go in there and drive out the enemy and possess the land. Ours is a spiritual possession of the land. And how do we do it? Not with a bow and arrow, not with bombs. How? Not with a shield and a sword, but we do it with the declaration of our faith. That's how we possess the land. That's what he said. Fight the good fight of faith. Make your declaration, confession of faith. Take hold of eternal life, what belongs to you. And make this declaration before many witnesses. And so you see, ours is from the heart and with the mouth that we possess the land. So the last word there on that page, I don't know how yours is, but mine is possessed. They, they had to be possessed. The promises of God had to be possessed. And that's echoed in Joshua chapter 1. But in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, the promises of the new covenant have to be possessed also, but now notice these two words, through faith and patience. In that verse, Hebrews 6 verse 12, be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Why does it take both, faith and patience? Well, if it was instant, there would be no need for patience, correct? And don't we all want instant everything? Sure. We strive for instant in our society. We want instant coffee, right? We want instant success, instant financial gain. Who doesn't want that? We like to have it right away, right? Well, it doesn't always work that way, does it? No, it takes faith and patience to inherit the promise. And it talks about how Abraham, it took a long period of time before the promise was materialized in the earth. Now, that doesn't mean we have to wait 25 years for the promise to come into manifestation. But it does help us understand that it's not magic saying a word and then boom, explosion takes place and a miracle takes place. It's not an Aladdin's lamp that we just rub and a genie comes out and says, what do you want? I'll grant you three wishes. You can have whatever you want. It doesn't work that way. You find out the promise of God. You embrace the promise, promise of God. You declare the promise of God in, in the face of all adversity and all negativity. We declare it we, we proclaim it's ours, and we're looking to the author of our faith to take our declaration of faith, present it to the Father, because he's the high priest of our confession, and then make it a reality in our lives. And that can take patience. So it's not always instant. It can be, but it's not always. So in your, word, in your notes, did you get those two words, through faith and patience? Under one, God wants, uh, the God word part is complete it's complete in Christ. The work has already been done by Christ. But we must do our part, which involves receiving and resisting. Receiving and resisting. We receive what we need by faith. And once you receive it, you will have a battle on your hands. And so will I to stop it from materializing. Do you see that? There'll be all kinds of setbacks, all kinds of different things coming against us to see to it that we abort the faith project. And so I've listed here for us six periods that are involved that will help us better understand how we can cooperate with God to position ourselves to have a higher level of faith so that we can receive from God the finished work of Christ. And so number one, it's the preparing season. In Matthew 7, 24-27, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by anyone, anywhere, that came out of the lips of Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, a wise man will do what? Build his house upon a solid ground, so that when the storms of life come, and they will come to all of us, he won't be devastated by the storms, right? But a foolish man won't do that. They'll build on shifting sand. When the storm comes, there's going to be a fall, and great will be the fall of that house. So, every believer is a builder. Notice in your notes, every believer is a builder. We're all builders, okay? The house he builds is his own life and the salvation of it. It's his own life and the salvation of it. 
That's what we're building here. That's what he's talking about. It's up to us. A wise man will dig deep into the word of God, lay a foundation for his life based on the word of God, because he knows storms are coming. So as we read on, he digs deep into God's word, searches for truth, and lays a good foundation for his faith. Now, we know that the word is the basis for faith, right? We understand that. We thank God that because we hear the word of God, we have faith. But what about the basis for the integrity of God? Do you know what that is? The blood covenant is the basis for truth. When Abraham said, how will I know that you're going to do this for me? He said, go get yourself some animals, cut them in the middle, lay them in a trough. And you know what? I'm going to cut a covenant with you so that you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I am a God of integrity. And when I say it, it will not be altered in any way. So the covenant becomes our basis for truth. I know he can't lie. And he sealed it with his blood. And so therefore... I can operate in this law called the higher law in Christ Jesus because that's where it all is at. It's in him and it's in what he's done for us in his great redemptive work. The provision is already there. Okay, so in your notes, he knows, did we do the foundation? Yes. Okay, the next one, he knows no one is exempt from attacks of sickness. No one is. We're all exposed to it. We're living in the same fallen world. He knows God's attitude towards sickness and the provision that was made at Calvary. Your words, attitude, and provision. Next, he learns how to apply the principles of God's word in his life according to Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. What do those verses say? My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my saying. Let them not depart from before your eyes and keep them in the midst of your heart. They will become life, first of all, to you and health to all of your flesh. Protect your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So here we have instructions given to us as to how we can have the word become life to us and health to all of our flesh. Now, didn't James say that we've all been begotten by the word of truth? That's life, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, he also sent his word to heal us and deliver us from our destructions. So we see the word is key. It's what we base our faith on. It's the integrity of God. He's already sworn by an oath. He made provision for us. The work's already done. So I must attend to what? His word. How? Listen to what he's saying. Incline your ear. Think about what he's saying. Don't let it depart from before your eyes. Believe what he's saying. Keep it in the midst of your heart. What's the result? Life and health. Life to you and health to all your flesh. So we have to follow those principles or those instructions we could say. So there's the preparing period. We're preparing ourselves to have a robust faith. Number two, there's the planting season. The seed must be sown. It must be sown. There can be no harvest where no seed has been sown. You know, sometimes, and we try to reiterate this over and over again. When you come to an altar and we're asking you to say, if you want agreement in prayer or whatever. You know, there's times when the Spirit of God moves and it's just the anointing and, and that's wonderful. But for the most part, we should always have a verse of scripture that we are standing on that we sow into our hearts into our lives this is what God said this is what I'm believing for so we've got to have a text a verse of scripture that says this is the word you sent me to heal me so in your notes the planting the seed must be sown there can be no harvest where there no seed has been sown so in Mark eleven twenty three, you know the verse I believe you should know it by heart for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatever he says. So that's the law of faith. So you can say it. 
Mark 11, 24, is the prayer faith. So what does he say? Therefore, based on the law of faith, whatever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. So there's the prayer faith. Now, we can also do this. James 5, 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray of him and with all in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. Okay, you can apply that principle. So we can be anointed with oil is your next word. Or we can apply Matthew 16, 17 and 18. We can have hands laid on us. Okay, for example, you might just do this. You're sitting out there in a the congregation and maybe someone asks you, you know, you, you, there's God's healing power is here. How would you like to receive from God? You can walk up and just say, according to Matthew 8, or Matthew rather, Mark 16, 17 and 18, it says right here, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So lay your hand on me. We should be more concerned about being prepared to receive the anointing that way by releasing faith in the word that says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, then we are trying to communicate the problem. We shouldn't be standing here going over and over and over what the problem is. Our focus should not be on the problem. Actually, you don't even have to tell the problem. You can walk up right here and just say, lay hands on me because when you do, I will receive my healing. Period. We don't have to do that unless we really know that we want to be in agreement then I need to know what you're what leaving for to agree with you means you take you've taken a stand and you're communicating that to me and then I'm going to say I agree with you and it, it creates a 10 times greater force can we see that and that's important but it's all based on what the word says to do so you can say it you can pray it you can be anointed for it or you can have hands laid on you but the point is, get a hold of a verse of Scripture, take it into the heart, declare it, proclaim it, and know that God cannot lie. You're basing your faith on the integrity of God. All right. Uh, whatever the method is your next word. The moment we act becomes our point of contact and point of reference. Whatever the method, whether it's you said it, you prayed it, you were anointed by, for it, or hands were laid on you, the, whatever that is, that's the moment, okay? That you, that's, whatever, and that's the method, rather. Well, that becomes the moment. That's the moment that you believed you received. You were anointed with oil, you believed you received it. That's your point of contact. That's your point of reference. You say, why the point of reference? Well, because it may not materialize overnight. It may take a day or two or three days or whatever, even a week. Some have had it for a couple of months or whatever it took. Uh, they had hands laid on them. I had hands laid on me. And so therefore I believe I received my healing. That's the point of contact. And I had them laid on me on, what is today, July the 7th, uh -huh. 2021 at 7.46 p.m. I had hands laid on me. That's my point of contact. And I write it down. Tomorrow... When the enemy comes and says, why don't you feel and see if you're healed or, or not? Why don't you do this? Why don't you? No, there's no need to. Because yesterday, now is my point of reference. I was prayed for, or I was anointed with oil, or I made my declaration of faith, or I asked the Father and believed I received. Now that's my point of reference, and so I have it. So there's nothing for me to look for other than the fact that I say, I have it, I've received it. That's my point of reference. I'm referring back to that time. When you, for example, let's just say that you identify with your salvation. Don't you go back all the way to where you're not getting saved today. I was saved. I'm not being saved today other than I'm growing in my salvation. But that's when my point of contact was. I got saved in 1976. So I'm saved. And when you were prayed for is when you're supposed to do what? Believe I received it then and you shall have it. That's my point of reference then. Contact and reference. That's when I received it. Therefore, I have it. Thank you. I should be so consumed with thank you, Father, for it. Thank you, Father, for it. That when the darts of the enemy come in to say you didn't get it, too late. Thank you, Father, for it. I received it yesterday. I have it. I'm just thanking you for it and rejoicing over it. Under point three, believing. That's where believing comes into play. 
Acts 27, 25 is when the Apostle Paul out there on the ship said he believed God that it shall be even as it was spoken to him. And even though when that happened, when the angel appeared to him and said there's not going to be a loss of anyone's hair, if they stay on the boat, still they had many days of trial, didn't they? And challenges, didn't they? And, but Paul was questioning, he goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, I believe it shall be as it was spoken. Period. Okay, so Acts 27, 25. Even though there was no evidence to support what he believed... Paul continued to believe what was spoken. Isn't that good? He continued to believe what was spoken, even though there was no evidence of it. Now remember, faith comes by hearing, not having heard. We need to hear it over and over again so that we fuel our faith. Because if we don't, our faith can diminish while we retain knowledge. So we want to make certain that we continue to feed our faith and not just say something like many people say. I know that. I know that. I know that. I remember sharing these truths with someone who is believing God for a miracle. I know that. I know that. Oh, I know that. Well, Mark eleven twenty four says, I know that. I know that. And then after, when I um, left... I was called the next day, what's your observation? How do you see the situation? I said, well, there's something standing in the way of the healing, and it's called pride. What? It's called pride. What do you mean? Well, I'm trying to give information, and it's, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. Well, guess what? I also know that a piece is sitting over there looking pretty good with pepperoni on it, you know, right hot out of the oven, is good. I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. Excuse me for a moment. Now I know it. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't do me any good just to say I know it. Even though I know it, doesn't mean I have faith to operate in it. I've got to feed my faith, continue to have a faith level high, so that I apply it to my life. So I believe in it, and I also believe it in such a way, I will continue to meet, feed my faith so it can rise up to a higher level. Now, in Mark eleven twenty three, we believe what we say will come to pass. Did you get all the other ones before this? Paul continued. Did you get that one? There was no evidence? Okay. We believe what we say will come to pass. What's the instruction? I'm to believe what I say will come to pass. Okay, well, what am I saying? I'm so miserable, I can't stand it. <laughs> it's coming to pass. Right? If that's what I believe. I'm preaching to myself, too. We're all, we're all in the same boat, are we not? What's Mark eleven twenty four? We believe we received our healing. Not like so many say, I believe I'm going to get it. I believe God's going to do it. Nope, that's not faith. That's not what he said to believe. Believe you have received it. And you shall have it. I like to add this to it because I think it's very important for clarity. How do I say it? If I believe I received it in its invisible form, that means I've already got it in its invisible form, then it will materialize in its visible form. So I believe I received it now. I believe I have received it now. It will then eventually manifest in its visible form. But if I say I'm going to get it, that means I haven't received it, right? If I keep saying, God's going to heal me, God's going to heal me, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. That's not following Mark eleven twenty four. He said, no, no, believe you have received it when you prayed. That's how faith works. Okay. Remember the law of thrust and lift? We've got to operate in the law of faith. All right, James 5, 14. We believe the anointing is mightily working in us. We believe... The anointing is your second word, is mightily working in us. I'm sorry, the mightily is your second word. We believe the anointing is mightily working in us. I believe the word is working mightily in me. The anointing is working mightily. Because I was prayed for, I, hands were laid on me. There was an impartation or a transfer of miracle power. I received it into my body. And I'm thanking God that it's operating in me now. How do you feel? What's that got to do with it? What does that have to do with it? 
I believe I received it because I was prayed for and that anointing is working in me now. I, you know what I believe? It's at work in me. It's at work in me. It's not going to. It is at work in me. It is at work. It's working in me now. Okay. Fighting. We resist every enemy to our faith. We resist and against. Put up a resistance to it. What's First Timothy 6.12? Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life wherein thou art also called. And has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Notice, lay hold of it and proclaim it. Basically, it means confess it, declare it. Because there's a high priest of our confession that will take it to the throne for us. So we resist every enemy to our faith. It's a fight of faith. Galatians chapter 5. It's a battle with the flesh. Our flesh, although we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. You see that? We war after the we don't war. It's a spiritual battle, but the flesh is going to rise up in opposition and just say, I'm telling you, I'm hurting. And I know you are, but you know what? I receive the healing power of God. It's at work in me. I'm believing it, and it will manifest eventually, but I'm believing it. Okay, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, you know that those verses, it's a battle with our thought life. Are your next two words? Our thought life. Casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Every thought? Oh, come on. Every thought unto the obedience of Christ? Wow. What a challenge, wouldn't you say? Every thought to the obedience of Christ? Glory. In James 5, verse 4, verse 7, it's a battle with the devil himself. Submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee, run from you as in terror. He'll flee from you. Isn't that what Jesus did when he was tempted in the mount, on the Mount of Temptation? What did he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. He resisted every suggestive thought of the enemy by declaring what was written, and of course he put him to flight. Number five, praising. So it's preparing, planting, believing, fighting, and now praising. Praising God for the answer before we see the evidence that our need is met is the highest expression of our faith in God. It's the highest expression of our faith in God. What is? Praising God for the answer even though we don't see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was prayed for, I received it, therefore I have it. I want to thank you. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and you become my salvation. I'm praying you because, praising you because you heard me. Okay, that's why I'm thanking him. That's what Jesus did at the graveside of Lazarus, Father. I thank you that you heard me four days ago when I said this sickness is not unto death. But now that these people may believe, Lazarus come forth. Okay. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. How many of you know what that says? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So we're rejoicing in something that we don't see, but we know we have. You don't see Jesus, but do you have him in your heart? Do you joy over that? We rejoice over that with joy unspeakable and full of glory, right? Okay, so I'm rejoicing that I received it. Psalm 118, verse 21. I will praise thee. For thou hast heard me and become my salvation. Faith. This is all faith. So the prior one was praising God. And this one is, this is all faith. And the last phase of this is experiencing. So we go from preparing to planting to believing to fighting to praising. And now number six, experiencing or manifesting. When the rains fall and everyone is on the ark safe, and secure when the Son of God appears in the furnace and protects those who believe, when angels shut the mouths of lions and Daniel sees the light of day, when a left pulmonary artery grows to normal size, it's manifested. But along the way, you praise and thank Him that you've got the victory. So, the counterattack. And we cannot conclude without quickly talking about that. In these verses, Matthew chapter 12, 43 through 45, Jesus said, When the evil spirit's gone out of a man who goes to dry places seeking rest and finding none, he will go back to the house from which he came and to this house, his house, my house, he says, from which I came. And he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. 
he'll get seven others worse than he is and bring them in. What's he talking about? A counterattack. The devil's been removed. Let's say you believe that you've received. It may be that you're actually healed. But there'll be a counterattack because why? He's lurking about in these dry places seeking rest and finding none. He wants to go back, he says, to my house. See, he got used to that being his house. That person's body was his house. The woman bowed over for 18 years, that was his house. He was living there. He was enjoying it. She may have been bent over because she had all those, all those uh, demonic influences there. But Jesus said, oh, you get out of here. This is a daughter of Abraham. Don't you do that to her. Woman, you're loose of your infirmity. Now, this demon could try to come back and bring it back on a person. And we've seen that happen in many people's lives. So we have to be taught to resist when this happens. I've received it. So whenever we open the door to God's provisions, we must recognize as your next word that the enemy will come back attempting to regain occupancy. We all need to get our own neon sign that says no occupancy. No trespassing. Mm-mm. We're full. This house is full of the life of God. No occupancy. Uh-uh. No entry point. Uh-uh. Doors closed. No vacancy. Devil, this means you and everything you stand for. So we must learn to keep the door closed to the enemy. Keep the door closed. Can somebody say amen? amen? These are just some principles that we need to hear over and over again. And once again, there's no formula like people think. These are principles that we learn and we develop in them like the law of thrust and lift. Like this law of life in Christ Jesus. And we apply it to our lives. Now we're not ruling out a close intimate walk with the Father. You see, because that's what it's all about. And that's what this is basically helping us do. Understand what he said, understand his provision, and do what he said to do. Let's all stand together before the Lord this evening.